This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Taryn Hayes. Hello, Lydia listeners, and welcome again to the Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. I'm Taryn Hayes, and today I have the pleasure of chatting with Libby Hansen. Now, you may know that our tagline is Ordinary Women Serving an Extraordinary God, and that's who we are, and that's who we interview. Libby is no exception, and yet she is. For 33 years, Libby has cared for her son, Scotty, who was born with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. What that takes requires pretty extraordinary character. Libby's story is one of faithful teaching of God's word through her own upbringing and spilling into her children. Scotty passed away in July 2019, but he leaves behind a legacy of a young man who shared the gospel wherever and whenever he could. We don't always highlight our show notes in the podcast, but today I want to suggest that you head on over to our website to find the links related to Scotty so that you can see for yourself evidence of suffering with joy for the sake of the gospel. Our website is tlpcwcw.podbean.com. And now, it's with great pleasure and joy that I bring to you today's conversation with Libby Hansen. Hello, Libby, and welcome to the Lydia Project. Thank you for having me. (laughs) One of the first questions we always ask, and I love asking it because I love hearing people's stories, it's how did you come to faith in Christ? Well, I grew up in a Christian home, and so we always knew the love of God. I can't tell you an exact time when I became a Christian because I, I just don't know. But like probably most people, when I get to be 16, 17, you start to think about what life's all about and whether you want to be on the good side or the bad side, just which way the road travels. And um, I guess I had a few difficulties about that time. I went nursing and lived in a nurse's home where all of a sudden people I knew, there was different thoughts, different outworkings of life <laughs> which I had never even considered before and that was a bit very confronting so then pretty well I had to decide okay am I going to accept the faith of my parents and what I knew to be right or did I walk in a completely different direction and, and follow others who didn't know Christ so yeah that was a big wake up call moment okay. you know yeah. a turning point I suppose well not, not really a turning point but just a a confirmation I guess of what my family had been singing about and talking about and yeah just a confirmation of all that 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 was good and it was right and God mm-hmm. was real okay mm-hmm. okay what's so I'm curious now see are these all the curiosity questions that can come and may or may not feature in the in the final product but what brought you to nursing at such a young age I think this is funny but when I was five I wanted to be a nurse and that stuck with me the entire way and I draw pictures about being a nurse, and in those days it was white with a red cross. Yeah, that never wavered. When it was high school, I had the opportunity to do anatomy at school, with the decision to move on to nursing after that, and it was like a precursor to our nursing course. Um, but we only lasted a month, and our teacher left, so that was the end of that. But I did enrol and go on to do nursing, and and it stood me in 
stead in later life. I didn't really nurse because I got married. Mm. In those days, you got married, you you stopped things. But I had older people living with us, and then all the issues with Scotty. So I guess God knew it was a good background for me to yeah. to have. Yeah. yeah. So you've just mentioned you got married. So did you you finished your nursing course? Yes. And then, but you didn't get to nurse. No. Okay. Yeah. So you got married. You must have been married quite young. Yes, I was married on my twentieth birthday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so nobody can forget the anniversary or the birthday if they get into double trouble. <laughs> well, in those days, you it was either Saturday, really, you got married, and there were Saturdays were all full up for the next couple of years. So um, we decided to get married on a Friday night, and we thought, well, might as well do it on our birthday. So <laughs> so what a great what idea! Yeah, what a great idea! Yeah. That must have been quite different getting married in the evening. Yeah, and it was. The dresses that the bridesmaids wore weren't meant for evening and it got quite cool in the middle of June. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, it was nice. Yeah. So tell me how you met Gary. Well, I met Gary in Gang Show, which was a branch of the guys and the scouts and it was entertainment on the stage. Oh, yeah? So, yeah, because we, we both love singing. Yeah, so that's where I met him backstage, actually. <laughs> really? Ready to go on to a... Because we had... Oh, there was over 100 people in the cast. So at different times there were between 20 or 30 people going on and then there was one person out the front and then the next 20 or 30 people would be racing, getting dressed to the next thing. So, yeah, so yeah. that's how I met him. Yeah. In the show business. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. fabulous. So gang, gang? Gang show, yeah. Show. It's around the world. Brisbane is one of the longest running shows. I don't think they've had it this year because of COVID. Yeah, but I've it, never heard of it. Yeah, well, look it up. It's, it's more like scout reviews. Yeah. So if you imagine the old singing and dancing showman routines that's what it was okay um, but we had terrific producers we were amateurs but we tried our best to be the best amateurs we could be mm. so it was well done yeah. well that's fabulous so you met him there and then how how much longer before you decided this is the one well within 12 months we'd met and married so oh, wow <laughs> i don't know if you recommend that to people these days <laughs> Because I think I could boil an egg. That was about the limit of my cooking skills back then. Oh, yeah, um, I, I identify. And I actually did home economics, but <laughs> I identify. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so we had a few interesting first meals. <laughs> I'm quite sure. Yeah, and 43 li- years later, we're, we're still married. Happily married. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I love those stories because, oh, so many reasons. But one of them being that today, I think... There's, there's so much that people want to bring into relationships before they commit to marriage that, that you know, the, the, part of the joy in the journey is learning together. Mm. So mm. the fact that you started out with being able to boil an egg <laughs> and, you know, you've raised how many kids? Three. Three, Three kids. Children, yeah. And if all these mm. grandchildren and all this life that's been thrown at you in so many different ways and yet here you are. So you married to Gary. How... Soon after that, did the others or the the eldest? Joanna's the oldest. Okay. We were married in 77. She came in 79. Then Andy was four years later. And then Scotty was two and a half years after that. Okay. So So busy years in the early years, I imagine. And so for our listeners, and and Libby will tell us more, but Scotty passed away... July just last year. July last year, goodness. Hmm. When did you find out about his? It was what was it? The disease it's called muscular dystrophy. That's it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So when yeah. did you find out about that? Well, my mother was a carrier, and it's one of these XY chromosome things, but it's a muscle wasting disease basically. So mum was the carrier, 
and there's a one in four chance that a baby born would be have muscular dystrophy. Did you know about this at the time? We were expecting it because back, but in Mum's day, they said, oh, by the time your daughter gets married, they'll have a cure for this. Oh, wow. So you just think, okay, well, Mum and Dad coped with it, we'll manage too. But man, what an eye-opener. You know, it was, it, I don't think I could have done it with anyone other than Gary because a lot of families, they can't handle disability. Mm. And um, it's often the father that just throws his hands up and walks away and the poor old mother's got to cope with everything. Mm. And it's such a big, long, arduous... When you love to do it and you wouldn't do it any other way, but it's, it is hard work. Mm. Yeah. So with your mum being a carrier, did that mean one of your siblings had it? No, it meant I became the carrier. Oh, it's just transferred okay. to the... It's a female... Yeah. But these days there's like a, a mutated gene that happens and some girls can get muscular dystrophy with no family history. Yeah. So, yeah. And then it was when I was... Scotty was born and he had the heel prick test and his... I've forgotten the name of the enzyme now, but he was thousands and thousands over what the normal range was. So we were at the Royal Brisbane and had wonderful care from... I've even forgotten what the name is now. When it's like they study hereditary diseases, genetics. Oh, yeah, yeah. And a lovely fellow there, and he's still our lovely friend of ours, now in his 80s. But they were just encouraging and you can do this, you know, and sort of supportive. But at the other time, when we went back for a six-week baby check, doctor at the time just said well Mrs Hanson come back in 10 years and we'll give you a wheelchair and I was absolutely dumbfounded because here I was with my brand new baby Mm. wanting some support and it basically well it's your problem go (laughs) come back in 10 years so that was a bit of an eye opener but those people are very far and few between most doctors are quite they'll want to help you and in these days when there's so so much support around you just find the right people to support you and forget the others Yeah. yeah yeah That's quite a positive attitude to have because I think many people will be crushed by that advice and not be able to recover from that. Yeah, well, I remember coming home and thinking, what am I going to do now? You know, it's just, and what can you do? You've still got a baby to feed and change Mm. and other children, so you just get on with it. And we've had a very supportive family as well, grandmas and granddads that basically drop anything and come if we needed them. So, yeah. That's true, yeah. Mm. So you have said that... Scotty's perseverance and faith and despite his disabilities and the gifts that he shared have been pretty significant. Do you Mm. want to tell us a little bit more about that? Well, Scotty, from a very young age, I think life stares him in the face and death stares him in the face when you've got a a, a disability. They told me he wouldn't last till he was 16 and he managed to get to 33. So we just loved having him all that length of time. But he was always a very calm considered quiet nature but he had a bit of a sparkle in him as well but he didn't let things worry him and he knew right from the beginning that he was loved by God and that this life wasn't the end and he did his utmost to talk to people we I took him to places where we spoke to mothers with new babies with problems just so he could basically show them look okay life's hard but you can do it we get there yeah we can still have joy and fun in our lives along the way you know and he didn't let his disability stopping from just enjoying life, you know, so to the best of his ability. It was very hard because he was on a ventilator. I had to push him everywhere. He had one finger that worked. So the rest of us had to do all his lifting and carrying and feeding. And But he didn't, it really didn't bother him. He never, ever once said, why me? He was just, I think we just did our utmost to love him and help him understand that 
God was bigger than all of it, you know, and he, yeah. he, he really did truly accept that, you know. Yeah, and he had lots of friends he spoke to about Christ and his paintings. We managed the last, well, March, just before he died in July, he had an art show, mm -hmm. which was always his dream. And he used to paint with a computer piece in his mouth. It would divide the page into quadrants and quarters and so he could, uh, he painted beautiful pictures. Mm, yes, yeah. he did. Yeah, that was just his way of, his quiet, gentle way of dealing with others, you know. And when he was in hospital, he didn't complain. So the doctors and nurses and other people could see, okay, this child's got great problems. What is it's, what is it he's got, you know? And I think mm -hmm. it led them to think, well, what is different about this boy, you know? And it was Jesus. That's, and was he yeah. able to share that with the staff? Yeah, he was. Yeah, in a very gentle, humble way. But no, he, he spoke about it and his computer was his greatest ally because he would be on it, like he wouldn't sleep. And he'd be on it till four o'clock in the morning just... Basically, he talked to people all over the world. Oh, really? Yeah, people, soldiers who had lost their legs in Afghanistan. He got to speak to a fellow, got to speak to another man in America with a similar look to him, who sat the same and had the same problems with ventilators. Because a lot of the other boys are much bigger boys. Scotty was only 23 kilos, so he was very thin. And this other man was the only person that he could find that was like him. And so they had great chats. And this chap actually had a monkey that he trained to help him go into a fridge and open a bottle of milk and put a straw in and give it to him. And Scotty looked at me and I said, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> no monkey, no boy, you are monkey enough. <laughs> yeah. But it, it was just, yeah, he spoke to a lot of people. There was no pretense and it was just pure Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, we loved him for that, you know. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, we have only been here for a short while when we met your family and that was definitely our experience from day one and... Yeah, so encouraged by his faithfulness to the gospel and, and telling others about Jesus. Mm. He's, you mentioned that the video, you, you shared the YouTube link to the video that he did. Mm. Again, was it within six months, wasn't it? Or was it before? No, like, that was I'm, the year before. I think there was a... I think I saw it six months before he passed. Yeah. That's what yeah. might have been. Yeah, focus yeah. on ability it was. So, yes. Yeah, and they have a, each year they have a, a contest for other people to showcase their ability, not their disability. And that's how it all came about. So. Okay. Mm. Okay. And some of his artwork is on a, is it a, a post box in the area? Yes. At the end of the street here, they have these telephone signal boxes that are quite ugly. And they were, again, contests getting people to paint them. The muscular dystrophy, who were one of our people that helped us in the time, they thought, oh, we'll link him up with a boy from the high school, an art student. So it was Scotty's design. And they got the grade 10 boy to come as part of his school endeavour to paint Scotty's design on this telephone signal box. So we'd be down there once a week, every afternoon for about a month, and I'd be helping on the other side. Because you had to sand the thing back and then paint it. So that was fun. So yeah. well, That's great. So you've got little memories all mm. over the place. Mm. And mm. In, in people that you meet, I imagine. Mm. How has that been for you? since he's passed away because obviously I mean you've known this day is coming but to mm. actually experience it is, is mm. a different thing yeah it's hard things like songs really get to us <laughs> and some of the church songs we just can't sing because it's there are too many uh, yeah mm. and, you know I, I think we've had the two of us together so we've it's gone tricky from a, a house that had you know three children in it and all their friends and associates and then the girls left they got married in the same year so they left my dad actually lived with us, so he died that year. And so there was just Scotty, Gary and I, and then Scotty's gone. It's just the two of us. So we sort of, everything's 
a new normal. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And is that hard to adjust to or are you... Look, I don't know how long grief goes on for and I think you get over the initial devastating part of the grief but we have a hope in Jesus and that's, I think that's the difference. We have hope, not despair, when it's dreadful when a child dies and you don't expect it. You think you're going to go before them, you know, but I think that's the difference. I think it's it's despair but it's not, you know, there's, there's something else to come. Yeah, it's not without hope. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it, some days it just all of a sudden you find yourself in tears. Of course, and, yeah. But for the most part, we've, we're pretty good and we keep ourselves very busy and we've had lots of times with the grandkids to, to talk about. Again, deaths showed up early for them and they have to think about those things. So, yeah, we've done our best to tell them what we know and mm. what we hope. Are they still asking lots of questions? I've got one grandchild at the moment that he's just starting to talk about things because he had a, a difficult start in his own life. Yeah, he's just sort of starting to think, well, Okay, life's not all bed of roses here. Let's, why, why is yours different to mine? You know, when, when children lose parents and, yeah, they, they think big, deep thoughts when they're six and seven and they want to know proper answers, not just we'll deal with that later. You know, you, you've, mm. you've got to give them the proper answer and suitable to their ears, of course, but, yeah, they're, they're, this young man's ready to know. Yeah. So we had a lovely big walk last weekend where we're just walking out into the nature strip out here. And he just started asking me about stuff. And we had a lovely, lovely chat. And I said to Gary, that's the best part of the walk, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What an honour and blessing it is to mm. be the trusted person that he asks those questions to. Mm. Mm. Before this interview, you and I were chatting in the kitchen about about children growing up so quickly and, and all of that. But I, f- I feel sometimes with grandchildren that God gives us a second chance about the regret side of things, if we have any, or just the wisdom that comes with age to be able to mm. pull that into grandchildren. is. And I think it's more wisdom because when you've got your own kids, I think you want to tell them everything and they, what they can't and shouldn't and won't do. But with the grandkids, you sort of back off a bit and think, okay, it perhaps didn't work with my own children, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. you've learned now not to say too much, wait till you're asked yeah. um, and not just to throw all your information at them. You know, So, so we try, we're trying. Okay. Oh, that's lovely because, yeah, I look forward to grandparents' days. Not too quickly, though, because I don't want my children to grow up too fast. Mm. Yeah. So the next question is, what ministry are you currently involved in? Well, a few things, I guess. One of the ones is I'm trying to get going with my own group of friends, I guess, grandparents to grandchildren, just prayer for them because we realise just how much life has changed for them since we were kids. And just what they've got to cope with, you know, and, and the the bullying at school that goes on and all the, you know, people's attitudes aren't Christian. And how do you cope with those people while still being friends with them? And, and there's just so much, you know, and, and there's more out there perhaps to pull them away. You know, families aren't close anymore. You know, we had the privilege, I guess, of I lived with three elderly people when I was growing up. My father lived with us when our kids were growing up. Some of those families don't exist anymore. Mm. And um, this children need our prayer. And I think as grandparents, we've probably got more time. We've probably got the bit more wisdom, a bit more insight into perhaps another generation and just praying for our kids because that's, you know, they, they well, they need Jesus first of all, but just to get them through life and to pick future partners. Our kids, grandkids know we pray for their future partners. So they know that grandparents are praying for them. And just in a little... Aside, I guess, my dad lived with us for 11 years here and he was tone deaf and stone, absolutely like deaf. (laughs) And he would be in the kitchen making his breakfast and when he said grace, he didn't just say 
grace for the food. He would sit there for 10 minutes and pray for the children and the school and their friends and all this. And our kids could hear Grandad praying for them. And yeah. it stuck with them. And it just, yeah. And Dad didn't know they could hear, of course. He was just praying his, his grace. But And again, when I was a little girl, I had a nana who lived downstairs. And every evening when we go to say goodnight to her before bed, there she would be with her Bible open reading her chapter. Mum's aunt, so my great aunt who was 90, lived upstairs in a bedroom and she had been evangelist, a women's evangelist. And she travelled mostly New Zealand doing children's ministry. It's funny when you think of New Zealand needing missionaries. Yeah, yeah. But back this was back in the 1930s. So she would always talk to us and tell us her stories. And we would hear her praying, not just for us, but for the world in general. And, and those things stuck with me. Now I know... You know, if it wasn't for those prayers, things could have been completely different for us. And so I just know how important it is for grandparents in particular just to be praying for their kids, you know. Mm. Yeah. So. How wonderful that the kids know that too. Yeah. Because I've, definitely we should be praying for them and grandparents should be praying for them. But to know, for your kids to have heard mm. granddad praying for them in mm. that kind of way, those are the things that stay with them for years and years to yeah. come. Yeah, and they're humbling because you've not asked for that. Yeah. And he couldn't hear that they knew, you know, like, yeah, the kids often say, do you remember granddad praying for us? You know, and I thought, that's what we can do. Mm. And when I was so busy with Scotty for all these years at home, that was the best thing I could do because I sometimes couldn't physically go out and be with them or babysit or whatever it is. Now mm. I've got that opportunity, but then I didn't, and that was something I could do. So yeah. do you find yourself just praying generally in the day, or did you have some kind of a routine that was... Well, unfortunately I'm not really a good routine person. <laughs> I started, this was our Scotty's bedroom, and we made it into a study, okay. and it really is a nice, sunny, peaceful spot to be in. So I try to start my day in here, but oftentimes phone rings or things happen. just can't do that. Mm. consistently so I don't beat myself up about that but every day I've got some spot in the day where I will physically stop and pray for the kids yeah oh, that's wonderful and a great example to everybody <laughs> to me and others so prayer for grandparents you mm-hmm. mentioned that you've been talking to your friends and contemporaries about that mm. do you have anything formalized going or is it just in discussion how are you doing that well I started with one friend quite a few years ago now I heard something on the radio a long time ago about if we spend one minute for one person for one day a week, you know, in years to come, that's going to pay dividends. And I thought, mm. I can do that. It's one minute, you know. Yeah. So that's what I started. with. I've um, got a couple of friends who their children have not walked with the Lord. And um, so that's where I started with them, just picking one child, one minute, one day, and just doing it. And um, I've got another friend at 8.30 the Monday morning, both of us pray for each other's children. So that's just a commitment we make. Yeah. So that's where that started. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. fabulous. Because uh, so we, uh, I feel like sometimes we as a church rely on programs and we rely on other people's organization for us to slot in and to do things. And somehow that's ministry. But actually the ministry of praying for your friend's kids and making a commitment to that is a ministry in and of itself. And I think mm-hmm. we need to be reminded of that as as, as a church community mm. that ministry doesn't have to be formalized it can very much be the way you live your life and sharing the gospel mm. in everyday conversations and with praying for people and all of that so, and you probably don't think yeah. of it as ministry we all think of ministry as some big thing but yeah. this is something that only the people i'm praying for know about 
Mm. And then ministry in serving your son for 33 years and mm. for the majority of that being his carer. Yeah. And Scotty was about 15. He just didn't sleep. And I'd be up 10, 15 times a night. So for all you young mums <laughs> who get up two or three times for your babies, you know, it's dreadfully hard. And I understand. But yeah, you zombie walk through the day until about 11 o'clock when you've got your head in the right space again. And it was, it was, that was the hardest thing to cope with, I think, the not sleep. Because then you, you don't react properly and, you know, you certainly don't want to be, you know, you want to do something for yourself, even if it's just go and get a shower. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you almost begrudge sometimes the time that you don't have for yourself. But you do what you do with God's help and have others to help you along the way. And so others helping you along the way, what does that look like? Well, my daughter was able to come and help me for the last few years with Scotty because it's a lot of physical lifting. Scotty needed help with eating, so he had to prepare his food. And I still had to go to the bank and get to the shop and do all my errands as well. So Andy would come with the kids. They made the decision to homeschool their children for a little while. So the kids would all come. And so Scotty listened to their reading while Andy was feeding him. You know, we managed to do things together. It got a bit scary for a little while when the ventilators came because we had to change ventilators. And I, I was responsible for his breathing. And if I mucked the taking the mask off and putting the mask onto another machine, it was like seconds he didn't have air and it was very mm-hmm. frightening. And I almost lost my nerve for a bit. So Andy was very good and just came and, Mum, we can do this, you know, and really she was a happy nature girl too. And it's mm. just it just she and Scotty were like thinkers and would just laugh at silly things. So so that helped. Mm-hmm. So I got to see the grandkids as well and uh, at the same time. So and yeah, I mean, I obviously know Andy a bit, and, and that is my experience of her very sunny natured, mm. optimist, warm, friendly. Did you have outside helpers as well, outside carers? Yeah, probably six years ago, I think, we got funding. The government was able to do better in their funding to disability. The NDIS was in another kettle of fish on top of that, which had its good side and its learning curve. And we were just at the beginning of all of that. So... That was another thing, having different carers in your house. They didn't always clean up after themselves or put things in your fridge the same way or wash up your cups the same way. And so learning to have other people in your house understanding that they were to help me. And they're all nice people and all very good in what they did too. But, it's, yeah, just having other people in your house all the time, day and night. In the end, we got nighttime carers to come, but we would leave our door open because it was you could still hear your child calling out. Mm. And we were sort of half awake all the time making sure the carer didn't go to sleep okay. and they were up doing what they had to do and some people can't do that yeah. they just the sleep thing is just too big for them and we so we had a few changes of carers at the night time yeah and when they work in the night they can't work in the day so you've got the next person to come and change shift and and you, you've you know your person is needs help with toileting so all those basic things which are very humiliating in the scheme of things you know you've just got to basically okay we've just got to get on okay. which is harder said than done too how did Scotty cope with all of that? Honestly, much better than we did. Mm. He just grinned and bared it. You know, we tried to protect his privacy best we can. But when you need someone else to take you to the toilet and give you a bath and all that sort of yeah. stuff. And I suppose you get it all at hospital anyway. You have all the things they have to do. Scotty in the end had to have a, a peg in his tummy to help him go to the bathroom. And that's another thing again. You're thinking, But he just coped with it. And it wasn't just stoic. He really did understand, okay, these people are here for me and I can't do it without them and let's make this as nice as possible. So that's what he did. And he'd laugh with them. And you know. He must have been everybody's favourite patient. <laughs> <laughs> he was fun and he had a real quirky sense of humour, yeah. which you know, you'd sort of, yeah, we really enjoyed. <laughs> yeah. 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 
what a blessing and what a wonderful blessing to know that you get to be reunited in yeah. heaven yeah. without all the pain and suffering of this world. Yeah. yeah. And when he did some of his artwork, which I thought, Scotty, you can't do that. <laughs> He'd have himself in a wheelchair going down a hill going, wee! <laughs> and the next thing, he'll be standing beside the wheelchair. And one of our grandchildren actually drew a picture of Scotty standing next to his wheelchair. So oh. this is what he's going to be in heaven. He's yeah. not going to... And there were flowers and clouds and so that was nice. A beautiful hmm. picture of home, hmm. which is wonderful. You also have been involved in one-to-one Bible studies or Bible reading. Yep. Tell me more about that. Well, about five years ago, I suppose, I couldn't do much else outside the home and I was keen to help in some way. And I thought I can have someone here and we can read the Bible together. And I'm no great Bible scholar, but I love reading the Bible. Just learning about people's lives, you know, that Peter who denied his Lord, you know, and Lydia who was a seller of purple. You know, there's so many characters in the Bible. And it's like these were real people that walked the earth in history. Mm. And I'd like to know a bit more about these people. And I thought, well, there's someone else who wants to learn about this too. So I've had probably about four ladies over the years. Some have got married, some have moved away, just different things. But we basically allow ourselves an hour. We'll have a cup of tea and a bicky and we'll just start and read. And when the hour's up, we pray for each other and stop. And it wasn't confronting. You didn't have to be a good reader or you didn't have to be a good Bible student. But just the Bible just became alive and just, you know, it just opens up for each other. And mm. one time we did a, one of my friends, Sally, we did a, I think it was Colossians. We decided to, memories. Ah. So we did the first chapter of Colossians we memorised and so each time we came together we'd add another you know each day we'd add a ver- add a, a sentence yeah and by the end of the week when we met together we'd had a chunk of six verses or whatever yeah and so we'd try to test each other on I don't think I could do it now unless you prompted me but, but it was great because yeah. you're all day long you're at the kitchen sink and you're remembering your Bible verse you know you're yeah. wherever else you are and you're remembering your Bible verse in traffic and it just kept it going and it, it was it's a good exercise, if nothing. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're, you're standing on God's promises and you're filling your heart with God's word. And, man, we need that today when the world is so upset and topsy-turvy and everybody seems to be against each other. You know, just having God's promises to remember mm. and to know that he's He's done it before us, you know. Did you find that, you know, circumstances all would happen and that those passages that you had memorized would just pop into your mind and be so relevant? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, and, and when you find yourself going, getting cross at the kids or something, it's like, okay, I'm going to become a new person. I'm going to put on new clothes. <laughs> yeah, you know, the oldest. It's a new day. You know, let's start again. You know, and yeah, it was just, it's just a good thing to do. To really be saturated in scripture. Hmm. Yes, I think that's something that most people can agree with, but I think not enough people do it, hmm. myself included. We've actually, my my eldest daughter has been encouraging us to be more intentional about studying the Bible. So we do Mm. read the Bible together in the mornings, most mornings in the week and pray together and and do study like that with the kids because we homeschool, it's it's easier to do that. But she's had us memorizing 1 John chapter Mm. 1 and we're almost to the end of 1 John chapter 1. It's not easy. Yeah. It's really not easy. But what a reward. Best thing about it is there's a lot of scripture songs that we sing that are just plain scripture. Yeah. And sometimes, you you know, they might be altered in some way slightly to, to suit endings of words or something, but the content is there. And so if you can sing scripture songs, you've got that in your heart as well. Yeah. And the, the old choruses, I think we were very blessed in our day because our Sunday school sang choruses. Yeah. And they were 
catchy tunes and you still find yourself remembering yeah. the choruses. You're standing on the promises of God, you know, yeah. and you're filling your heart with God's word. and Totally, yeah. filling your heart and mind. Mm. As opposed to endless hours of Netflix or something like that. That's right, and you know, that's the easiest option, isn't it? I mean, mm. we all sometimes veg out sometimes and just perhaps sit in front of a telly and do nothing, but the older you get, the more time you realise you're wasting. Yeah, and, I'm mm. also... Having read a lot of missionary stories, reading about Second World War and First World War and, and how people were imprisoned for being Christians and no access to the Bible, but because they'd memorized scripture, they were able to share it with their soulmates and and to stand on those promises because they knew they were in their minds. They, nobody could take that away from them. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm often challenged by that because it's so easy in our Western world. I mean, I've, I've got my... Bible on my phone. I can pick it up anytime mm. I want to. Anytime mm. it says, "Oh, what's that scripture again?" It's like, "Oh, let's just go and look it up quickly." But mm. and for me, know it. having a book in my hand, I remember it better than from my phone. Yeah, everybody's different, I know, but that's yeah. I just can remember yeah. things in a book. I'm I'm the same actually. Yeah. I'm better with a book for some something visual about knowing what what part of the page it's on mm. and mm. and all that kind of thing. So mm. I tend to uh, during sermons. Not so much at home. It's been difficult at home, but in the, in church, I'll take my Bible and I and I'll take sermon notes in my Bible because I find that's the best way to really engage with the Bible for me. Mm. But yeah, it it is easy to even just pick up your Bible and turn to it. Mm. So I've always been challenged and thinking, you know, who knows what the future lies for the rest of us? Because mm. you know, ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years from now, it it might be illegal to be a Christian. Mm. Mm. Who knows? Mm. And well, we found a thing that you could put in your car: actors reading the Bible. Yeah, and they put good expression in and everything else, so you you're hearing the words. Right, so so you can way. drive. I've got a daughter that lived at Burpengarry, another one that lived in New South Wales for a time, and on those times when we'd go, we'd put the CDs on and you'd just listen for hours. You'd have scripture sort of yeah. all around you when you're driving. And so that's oh, another that's way. Good. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. You say you also have been helping Louise Campbell with fortnightly Bible reading devotions and prayer with other ladies in their 90s. Mm-hmm. How's that going? Well, again, COVID stopped all that for the time being. Mm-hmm. But every fortnight, Louise had started it before me. And one day she was talking about it. And I thought, oh, I can help you with that. So... Basically, we go along to the old people's home and the ladies all wheel walkers into their room and there's about four or five of them. They're all in their 90s and they all love the Psalms. It's a good system. Three things for them to remember. Context. So she'll read a, go in and read a passage from the Psalms usually. So you get the context. You find Christ. Where's Christ in that? And she gives them a challenge. And even in their 90s when they're in a nursing home, there's carers that perhaps you can be kind to or someone sitting at the dinner table where they're not having a good time of it so they just go and chat to them and and they pray for each other in the nursing centre and these ladies are bright buttons you know they've they've from um, all their life some one lady's a baptist one lady was a presbyterian one lady was i don't even know what she was but boy they know the psalms you know it's really exciting so they can tell us things yeah and then louise just does a, a prayer at the end and we pray for them and and up on the board in the nursing home even they have one o'clock bible reading so everybody knows that's yeah. what's going to happen in that room at that time. And so others um, can join. Yes, we've had a few different ones as new people have come into the nursing home. But these four ladies, are they're in well enough health, they're still able to get around and take themselves where they want to go. So, yeah. You know, yeah. And that's yeah. just wonderful. 
what would you say is big on your radar at the moment? What What are you most passionate about right now? Well, I'm doing a lot of sewing and I'm sewing a lot of quiet books. So tell me what quiet books are. I think I have an idea, but yeah. Well, some people call them busy books, I guess. They're just mainly cloth books that make no noise and you can take them into a doctor's surgery or a church service or wherever and the kids can be looking at these things as there might be a puppet in it, there might be doors that you can open and pull out a little, I don't know, something. Shoelaces to tie. Yes, yes, just yeah. little activities they can do quietly. Or I've got one where I've got a bit of sand in it and there's little items in the sand in a, in a plastic pouch and so you, the children spend time trying to find it. And I guess that's for children's entertainment but also for disability children it's good for the mental stimulation they're actually can I don't know it's just a gentle general yeah. approach and again you might be teaching them your ABCs or whatever so I seem to be gravitating a lot towards making children's things <laughs> you've made some cubbies I've seen yes some yeah. cubbies and tents and made a little dolly house at the moment for a lady that you unzip the front and the front folds and the roof opens and inside's a little teddy in a bed and a oh wow do you make to sell or are you just doing this for enjoyment? Well, that was the plan. I, I thought after Scotty had passed away, what can I do? Mm. And uh, I thought that's what I can do. So that's how I started. But now I've got a, a job at the moment working at the hospital. So that's sort of taken a different tack again. But I'd like to, yeah, that was my aim. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what does your work involve? I'm a medical typist. Okay. So again, years ago at school I did commercial class and we had a wonderful shorthand typing teacher who got us all up to 100 words a minute. Wow. And, and we just loved her. And she was our form teacher as well. And she'd take us out to the movies on weekends. And, we, you know, she was just a one in a million type of teacher. And so we all did our utmost to get up to her standard. I think all of us did. And, of course, other people went on, left school at 15 to go and get a, become a secretary or work somewhere. Yeah, but anyway, that stayed with me. About 13 years ago, there was a flu that went through the hospital and my friend who worked there at the time said, you can type, can you come in and help? Because a lot of the secretaries were out sick. Mm. And so Scotty and I, we bundled ourselves up and go up into the car and I'd set him up with his computer and then I'd sit at their top and just type away and did it for about a week, 10 days and that was it. And then again, once Scotty passed away, I said, oh, I wonder if they need anybody. Well, they did. And they said, come in. So... I didn't have an interview. I didn't have a need to write out a resume. It's just simply yeah. because the same people were there all those years ago. The same practice manager was there. And she said, no, come in tomorrow and start. So, Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so dictating and taping headphones and listening. But, yeah, I quite enjoy it. So, And are yeah. you still 100 words a minute? I don't know, but my fingers have a memory. That is pretty impressive. <laughs> I think I, I think the fastest I've ever done is about 80. Yeah. But it was yeah. it's a, yeah, certainly a... A whole new concept of actually being with other women in a workplace, whereas before I was at home by myself. Yeah. And so that's taken a bit of every direction I seem to have gone in big curves, you know. But yeah, What's I've been the hardest it. part of, about adjusting to that? I think getting myself to and fro to work, getting on a train. I hadn't been on a train for years and years and years. Of course. I knew I could type, but I didn't know how I'd go with all the other ins and outs of it all, you know. You've got to... Mm. Anyway, it's been good. I've enjoyed it. been a few things I've had to really work on such as language in the workplace, okay. which was never an issue before. All of a sudden I'm confronted with people who, again, they're all nice people, yeah. but it's nothing to them to swear. Mm. And I had not been in that environment at all. And it was like, man, I've either got to <laughs> have deaf ears. But again, it's just waiting for little opportunities to talk to people, or to, not even to talk to them, but just be me. Yeah. And hopefully that's enough to sort of say, well, okay, what, again, what's different with, yeah. with you that yeah. she's not doing it? 
And just to be, I guess, to ask probing questions of people to be able to see where they stand on things. And Mm. it's not easy to share in the workplace or amongst friends or colleagues because of everything else going on. But I find people quite receptive to questions. So if you ask them, there's actually a really good book called Questioning Evangelism. And it's not, the title sounds like you're asking questions about evangelism, but it's not. It's it's asking people questions that makes them think a little bit more about what they think about life and what they think about death. So it's just good questions to ask people. Well, we had recently yeah. a church, uh, Everyday Evangelism, yes. and we went along because I thought, I'm going to be in this new environment. I don't want to say the wrong thing or say, you know, stuff it up and make it worse. Yeah, that was the guy was encouraging to say, look, you don't have to give them the gospel in every minute you talk to them. You're just giving them an opportunity to perhaps open up about this or talk about that. And you just put a little word in here and there, enough for them to think, okay, I can come back and we can Mm. continue this conversation. So I've had the opportunity to do that a few times and thought, yeah, you know, this stuff does work. It does. And it's just, it's investing in people, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. And remembering your last conversation you had with people. Yeah. I think that's a big important one, whether it's your grandkids or somebody. If you can remember just something of that last conversation, those people think, oh, this person was listening to me. Yeah. You know, they really do want to know. Yeah, so that's something to develop. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. What would you say is keeping you standing firm and growing as a Christian at the moment? Well, again, I think just remembering all the things that Scotty did and said. To anybody looking at it, he was such a weak person, you'd think, well, how on earth can he do anything? But honestly, he had such computer evangelism I guess you'd call it where he'd put up the latest songs he'd heard and talk about them and just talk about there'll be a better place one day and I think just remembering that I don't know I'm, I am struggling with the church online thing person that really needs to be with people I can't wait for that to start back again but I think people help you you know and our own family the kids have been great my other daughter and son-in-law just moved up from New South Wales last year and I'm getting to see them more so I know, listening to them and their faith. We had a great time when our kids were teenagers is helping out on camps and we were just the bottle washers, we weren't the cooks. But we were there and we saw our children and their friendships develop and a lot of those children are now full-time ministry. We just sort of saw all that develop. So thinking about those things and I guess I'm looking back a lot now and remembering what God has done for us in the past and knowing it's happened and he's got us through things, you can look forward to the future depending on it. So I think just dwelling on those things, remembering songs and scripture, that's a big thing for, I know, Gary and myself, yeah. And hearing stories, Gary's got an opportunity where he is at work to talk to people one-on-one about Christian things and or inspiring to think that there are people out there still wanting to know. They've never heard about Jesus, they might have heard about this God out there, but what's it all about? And they're actually asking him. And it's like he comes home and tells me a few little incidents and I'm thinking, man, those people really do want to know. So that's, it spurs you on. Yeah, mm-hmm. I find it so exciting when people are asking good questions or, you know, just clearly being either in curiosity about who this Jesus fellow is or being obviously blown away by him. And it's just, it's so encouraging to see people have those light bulb moments when they realize that the gospel really is the best news. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess you can only show people by believing it, knowing what you believe and how you believe it yeah. and acting on that. And we all get it wrong very badly sometimes. And sometimes we need a big bang on the head for someone to sort of say, <laughs> you wake up to yourself, you know. <laughs> but yeah, you, you get back on and yeah. you go again, you know. <laughs> so you're going to share a Bible with Is us that all right? first and I'd love to hear you. Okay, let me get the right bit here. I think it's in Ezekiel 17, verses 12 to 14. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. 
Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the army. Sometimes things are too big for people and they just they cannot do it by themselves and they get tired and they just want to give up. And we've all been there, I think. And just that visual picture of, okay, Moses, is, he's almost given up. When his hands were up, the army won. When his hands fell down, the army lost. And so those two fellows came along and sat him on a stone and helped hold his arms up until the battle was won. Mm. And I'm thinking that's what we need to do alongside our friends and alongside friends whose children aren't walking with the Lord, you know. Mm. Sometimes it's just too hard and yet... You think, my prayers aren't going anywhere. So, okay, get someone with you and let them pray with you. Mm. And you can just help them through the battle, you know. Yeah. So that's one of my favourite verses. Yeah. And how true. We do need to stand alongside each other and fight the battle together and pray for each other. And it is about community here. Fabulous. Mm. Yeah. Well, I've loved chatting to you and it's been really, really good. And I've got a thousand more questions, but we're also running out of time. So thank you. Thanks for chatting with me. It's, yeah. it's, it really is a privilege to, and it, it helps again spur you on to do something a bit more, you know, and a bit better. And yeah. um, God is a God, as I said, God of forgiveness and in this business of restoration. So if we do it wrong, God still loves us, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah. just have to come back to the cross. And, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's encouraging that when we mess up, it's not it's the you know it's not the end of the road. That because of Jesus' death, because of his grace that even our, even our messing up highlights how wonderful he is mm. and that for me is particularly encouraging it's like you can be so devastated by your own sin but at the same time it, it serves to magnify how amazing god's grace is all at the same time mm. yeah. Yeah. we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the lydia project we would love you to share this episode with others whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper, and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary.